1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: This is Overtime on 106.7 The Fan. We're with you up until 9.40. Leading into Nat on Deck, I'm Danny Noakes, Denton Day, producing the show. We're sponsored by Elite Shooting Sports. Get your friends together and check out Elite Shooting Sports in Manassas during National Shooting Sports Month this August. Take a class or bring a friend to ladies' night. Open seven days a week. Elite Shooting Sports provides a safe and inviting environment for all to enjoy. 800-636-1067 is the MGM National Harbor listener line. We will re- return to that at a later segment because right now we are going over to the phones, but we're doing so to welcome in our first guest this evening. Let's give a warm welcome to Matt Wyrick NBC Sports Washington's Nationals coverage. You can find him on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. Matt, thanks for the time tonight, man. How's everything going?
3: No problem, Danny. Doing well. How about yourself?
2: We're doing well over here, and we're still digesting a bit of news that broke a little over an hour ago, and the news is that Ted Leonsis is officially in the running to be the next owner of the Nationals, and it's not particularly surprising we don't have a ton of details on it, but he is in the running as we understand it. Nothing's decided, and he's already at least... A partial owner of the team minority owner if you will but I do think it's very interesting isn't it he's been one of the first guys that's being mentioned in a potential sale of the Nats he's already affiliated with the team so a lot of people felt that he would be a natural fit what are your thoughts as you hear this news come through the grapevine today
3: yeah I mean absolutely it honestly doesn't come as too much surprise for me just given that he is an owner of the Capitals and Wizards, somebody who has been very invested in success of the D.C. sports landscape across the board. Uh, And with the success that he has had, of course, with the Capitals uh, winning the Stanley Cup, and the Wizards have had some ups and downs over the years, but certainly they have been able to retain their stars, which is something that I think Nationals fans would take note of. So certainly something that I think Nationals fans could get excited about. uh, But, of course, there are still plenty of names still in the running.
2: There, there are definitely other names, and, and trying to be clear here for our listeners that this is by no means a defining moment. This is not certain that Leonsis is going to be the guy, the owner. No, there's actually quite a bit that still needs to happen before anyone becomes the new owner of the Nationals. And, and the last thing, Matt, that I'll say about this is it's particularly interesting when you consider the other news today that Monumental Sports had acquired NBC Sports Washington, but the... I guess we'll call it uh, uncertainty around the nationals TV rights w- with Masson, the mid Atlantic sports network. There, there's been a lot of, I guess upheaval when it comes to that. And, and obviously that is an entity that's owned by uh, the folks over there in Baltimore. So you, you have to wonder if Leon does end up getting the chance to buy the nationals that he might try and move their games over to NBC sports, Washington too, which That'd make things a lot easier to watch them, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't complain over on my end, but of course, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the and Masson is owned, uh, as you mentioned, by, majority by the Orioles, so it would have to be a separate transaction uh, that they would purchase Masson, even if they do buy the Nationals. It's no guarantee that they get the TV rights. So uh, with how long this uh, lawsuit has gone on, over a decade now, uh, between the Nationals and the Orioles, uh, it would be very interesting to see uh, whatever owner does come in, how they would choose to address that situation.
2: Yeah, just something that we're going to have to kind of keep our eye on. I think November is is when you could potentially see some some legitimate movement when it comes to who the new owner for the Nationals might be. But we're just going to have – Going to have to let that play out. We're talking with Matt Wyrick, NBC Sports Washington's national coverage right now. And Matt, obviously, the Nats in Seattle for a couple of games with the Mariners. First pitch tonight at 10 10, but coming off a couple of tough losses to the San Diego Padres, where both the last two games, two to one losses, all four of those runs from San Diego were driven in by. Either Josh Bell or, or Juan Soto, which is certainly very tough to, to swallow, I'm sure, for Nats fans. And they're steamrolling towards potentially their worst record of of their franchise's history the last 17 years. But we are getting the chance to see some of these guys come up that were a part of that blockbuster trade to send Juan Soto to San Diego. And the first person I'll ask you about is C.J. Abrams, who he seems to be getting a little bit more comfortable each game. He's obviously still got a lot of growth to to do in his Major League Baseball career, but what have you noticed from C.J. Abrams so far?
3: Yeah, absolutely. The numbers aren't going to jump off the page right now. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. one of the youngest players in baseball, among the five youngest players suiting up in the Major Leagues right now. So you're certainly not going to have high expectations for a player of that youth but at the same time he's he's showing some signs that he could be a potential player uh, who sticks at this major league level he's obviously got loud tools the speed really jumps off the page he plays with a lot of energy which is something that i think this nationals team could really benefit from just given that all these losses do pile up when you've got a guy who can be a spark plug and and jump in and really give your team a jolt that, that definitely helps uh when you're in the middle of a losing season like they are so you know the power is something that might not come along for a while he obviously has some strikeout issues Uh, that he has to work out and adjust to that level of pitching uh, that the major leagues has. But overall, you know, I think he's got tremendous tools. Uh, Seems like a good kid, somebody who uh, fans are really going to enjoy if he can take off. So it's going to be interesting to see his development here over the next couple of seasons.
2: It really will, and I think when you talk about power, when you talk about strikeout issues, it seems like a majority of young Major League Baseball prospects are dealing with similar issues in in trying to mature their game. So it doesn't necessarily concern me a whole lot. we got to see more of him. He's got to get in the lineup every day, get him in there for an opening day and whatnot. Now there's another guy that a lot of fans have have been – pining to see, Matt, and it is Cade Cavalli, who it seems like we could get a, a, a look at here pretty soon. You you would think with the dominance that he's displayed over his last several minor league starts that he is, is poised to make a, an appearance here soon for the big league club here in D.C. What are your thoughts on Cade Cavalli?
3: Yeah, I think it's more and more likely now that we are going to see Cavalli here before the end of the season. Uh, it's important to note he will not be able to exceed rookie limits with the amount of time that is left this year, which is important because the new CBA that was signed just last offseason uh, has a stipulation that if a rookie who is on a top 100 list uh, makes an opening day roster and then goes on to win rookie of the year or place highly in any of those league voting awards, uh, the team that has them could be awarded a draft pick. So the Nationals have already preserved uh, that eligibility for next year. So they could really bring him up at any time and the only you know, the thing is, is, is he ready? You know, he's obviously displayed the results uh, down there over his last 12, 13 starts. He's really looked the part of that top 100, top first-round pick uh, player that he was. Uh, had a bit of a rough start, but he's really settled in. The, the Nationals are really just concerned about his in-between starts, about him showing consistency in his, in his mechanics, about his control, which has really been the biggest issue for him uh, in terms of just settling in. we will kind of have a start here where he's absolutely dominant, racks up 13 strikeouts. And then he'll come out and walk five guys in his next outing. So I think the consistency from start to start is really what the Nazals have been looking for. And over the past couple of months, he's been showing just that.
2: Definitely showing some signs of growth, showing some signs of maturation. It's exactly, I have to imagine, what the Nats front office wanted to see. Matt, one more for you before we let you go. I know you've got another radio hit to do here in about 10 minutes as well. Uh, The matchup tonight, Nats-Mariners 10-10. Eric Fetty's back on the bump here for the Nats. He's going to go up against Robbie Ray. Fetty has missed some time, and despite a 5-7 and record, a 4.95 ERA, he's still been one of the most consistent arms that the Nats have this season. So I have to imagine that they'll just be glad to have him back in the rotation tonight.
3: Absolutely. Unfortunately, it's not a super high bar to clear, uh, especially with the way the Nationals rotation has been pitching here over the last month or so. But, uh, you know, he, he did have a really nice month there early on in the season, looked the part of a guy who could at least come out and post every five days. Uh, It it remains to be seen if the Nationals might explore a six-man rotation, trying to give Josiah Gray Mm -hmm. a bit of a break down the stretch. So that might be something we have to keep an eye on moving forward. But certainly getting him back uh, is a boost for this rotation at a point where they really have been struggling for guys to go deep into games
2: and I don't expect that to necessarily change a whole lot, but if anybody in this rotation can do it, Fetty would be one of the more experienced guys. Matt, I will let you go, let you get back to the rest of your Tuesday night. Enjoy the game, and hope to do it again with you soon, man. Appreciate it.
3: Thanks so much, Danny. Anytime.
2: You got it. That's Matt wyrick NBC Sports Washington's Nationals coverage. You can find him on Twitter. At by Matt Weirich. Great stuff there from Matt, and a great point he makes, too, about the potential for the Nats to kind of shuffle their rotation, at least get a sixth guy in there, potentially get Josiah Gray a little bit of rest because at this point, Nats have clinched the losing season. They're not going to be in the playoffs. They're on the cusp of, for a couple more months, if they play the same baseball that they've been playing, having one of, if not the worst, records in franchise history, and that wouldn't be surprising considering how much of their World Series team that they've sold off, but it has been a quick descent into not even mediocrity to becoming the worst team in Major League Baseball for the Nationals, who are not even three years removed from winning a World Series, but we 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 wait with bated breath to see what these prospects are going to turn into for the Nats, and I know it's painful, I know it's hard, I know it takes a while, but That's just how baseball is. Baseball is different in that it relies more on the development of players than leagues like the NFL, the NBA, and even the NHL do. I mean, you think about it, guys in the National Football League, if you're drafted in the first two rounds, really the first three rounds, you're going to be expected to come in and contribute to some point immediately. right? And the higher you are drafted, the more and the higher the expectations for your production when you should than be out there competing for the team that just drafted you in your first year. That's the expectation. It's it's not necessarily a whole lot different in the NBA. Yes, NBA smaller league. There's not as many rounds in the in the NBA draft as there are, and there there's obviously not as the the draft doesn't go as deep in the NBA as it does in the NFL. So it's to a lesser degree but you're still going to be expected to contribute immediately for an NBA franchise. If you're drafted like that, uh, whereas in major league baseball, that's not always what happens. I mean, Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper all had to do time in the minors before they got called up to the Nats. Same with anyone, right? Soto, anyone it's, it's been the case for anyone. And and that's just not necessarily how other sports work. So that was a great segment from Matt. Appreciate his insight, his analysis. That's great. We'll get more on the Nationals a little bit later on in the show. Right now, I want to step aside. I want to take a quick break. We've got more to get into in the National Football League, so let's go back to that when we return. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
2: of NBC Sports Washington's national coverage for his time in the last segment. Really appreciate Matt's insight, his analysis on the Nats, looking at the news that Ted Leonsis is officially, if we didn't already know, and we kind of assumed that he would be, in the running to become the new owner of the Washington Nationals. His ownership group there with Monumental Sports also announcing today that they had acquired NBC Sports Washington. So there's a lot of interesting chess pieces that are, moving right now around dc sports specifically the nationals and potentially the wizards capitals mystics monumental sports all that owned by ted leontis and monumental now before we go any further big shout out to my guy captain todd he sent me a video and i was wondering where this was it's a bleacher report video of daryl green at 50 years old running a 4-4-3 40-yard dash which obviously is outrageous at 50 years old to run a 40 yard dash. That's a sub four, four. That's, 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 there's a reason that he was all American uh, in college running track. And and there's a reason that he has for a long time been known as one of, if not the fastest players in NFL history. So thank you Todd for, uh, for sending that. It's it's cool because just kind of looking through uh, some of Daryl green's accolades and legacies and whatnot, he does have, unofficially as I understand it, the fastest 40-yard dash in NFL history at 4.09 seconds. And that was clocked several times throughout training camp in 1986. Now, I, I knew that he had the unofficial fastest 40-yard dash uh, at somewhere south of 4.2 seconds, which 4.09 is is what I'm reading right now. 4.09 to run the forty yard dash, that is absolutely ridiculous. That was in nineteen eighty six. And by the way, for anybody wondering where DG is at these days, uh, he ran a 4-4, 4-4-3 40 yard dash at fifty years old. That was twelve years ago. So Daryl Green today is sixty two, but again, I bet he could still run a pretty quick forty. I bet he's still right around that four seven mark, right? I maybe it's not. Maybe he hasn't even dropped off that much after the last twelve years. I don't know, but. The reason that all came up, too, was putting together Mount Rushmore, Washington commanders, Washington Redskins players or coaches or anybody else affiliated with the franchise. So my Mount Rushmore was Joe Gibbs, Sonny Jurgensen, John Riggins and Daryl Green with several honorable mentions like Joe Theismann, Sammy Ball. Russ Grimm, Art Monk, Joe Jacoby, Bobby Mitchell, Charlie Taylor, and many, many others. So 800-636-1067. If you've got a Mount Rushmore for me, if you think that I'm wrong, I th- I say three of those are non-negotiable. Gibbs, Sonny, Riggins, non-negotiable. And really, you could say that all four of those guys are non-negotiable, but the thing is, the, the honorable mentions that we that we also talked about very much have strong cases to become that I just I use those four guys as, as having the strongest cases that's all that it really comes down to for me but in other commanders news I, I there was great news in that Logan Thomas was back at practice today and I know that anybody who's been at quarterback for the Washington football team over the last couple of years has obviously suffered without Logan Thomas in the lineup and Logan, last year, only played in six games, but he had three touchdowns before he got injured in December. Now, he's going to come back, and I think he's going to be one of the more crucial parts of the offense for the Commanders this year, and it has everything to do with Carson Wentz, who, if you'll remember, when he was in Philadelphia, loved to throw the ball to his tight ends. Zach Ertz, Goddard, right? He had some good tight ends out there, and... Obviously led to some success as a rookie. I mean, he was on the verge of becoming the NFL MVP. We all know what's happened since then. A pretty steep decline. But last year in Indy, like throwing the ball to Mo Allie Cox too. VCU product, if you didn't know, because they'll let you know if you're ever watching an Indianapolis Colts game. Hey, did you know Mo Allie Cox played basketball at VCU? Yeah, we know. Trust me. I like to say it, too, though, because I live in Richmond. But. I think that Wentz is going to rely heavily on Logan Thomas as his security blanket. But the beautiful thing is when you've got guys like Terry McLaurin on the outside and Curtis Samuel can continue to stay healthy, continue to get better, continue to just stay in the lineup, stay within the offense, continue to produce every week. I think that he'll be someone that you can at least get the ball to and, and, you know, in open space, maybe they can make a play for you because he's quick. Jahan Dotson, I think, is going to be the same way. Now, coming in as a rookie in a, a mid-first-round pick, expectations for him, they're probably going to be relatively high. And I have to imagine that this year, Terry McLaurin is probably going to be facing more double more double teams and, and more coverage that sort of tries to take him out of a play. And they're going to force Wentz to get the ball to somebody else, either Dotson, Samuel, or if it ends up being someone like De'Ami Brown, uh, or Logan Thomas, and so Logan Thomas, being the the beast that he is, and he is a massive individual. I remember watching his games very fondly when he was the starting quarterback at Virginia Tech for my Hokies. But man, has he come into his own as a tight end? I think he's perfect for this offense, and and I'm hoping that he, along with the rest of the offense, can stay healthy because there are several guys on that offense that I would be concerned with in. Regards to whether or not they can stay healthy for an entire season. Logan would be one of those guys. Gibson and McKissick will be a couple more of those guys. Anybody on the offensive line. <laughs> and that's not uh, uh, that's not necessarily a knock against anybody individually on the offensive line. It just seems like there's always some injury on the offensive line. And it, it ends up de- being something that the team has to deal with all season long. So that's it. As well as Carson Wentz. I mean, we have to we have to at least factor in the potential that Carson Wentz could get hurt, too. Now, Wentz goes down, and obviously, knocking on wood for all this right now, we don't want any of that to happen, but if it were to happen and Wentz goes down, at least you have somebody like Heineke to come in who's started a full season for you. He knows the offense pretty well. I would feel okay about him coming into the game, and, and by the way, for all of – for all the Sam Howell lovers out there, and, and hey, that first game was exciting, and I hope that he can he can uh, turn into a, a commander for a long time if he continues to get better, but boy, he really looked like a rookie in that second game. He really looked like a rookie against the Kansas City Chiefs. I think Heineke looked head and shoulders above where Sam Howell is at right now, so I don't expect any sort of movement on the depth chart from that perspective. It's 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 probably gonna be Heineke over over Sam Howell, but getting Logan Thomas back is big. There's there's no doubt about that. He's gonna rely Wences heavily on Logan Thomas this season. They're not gonna be able to throw the ball to Terry every single down, right? And there's gonna be coverages that are specifically designed to keep him out of plays. The other news today coming out of the Commanders franchise was defensive end Chase Young. He got put on the reserve uh, pup list, physically unable to perform. And that will ensure that he misses the first four games of the season. Now, he opened camp on the active pup list, right? He tore his right ACL and MCL in the November 14th game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year. Underwent reconstructive surgery and... The fact that he tore both his MCL and ACL is obviously why this is taking a little bit longer to come back from. Not every torn ACL also features a torn MCL. Sometimes it also features a torn meniscus. In that case, your, your knee is really, really messed up. But it's obviously something that he needs some legitimate time to come back from. And if it's November 14th that he was injured in that game against Tampa Bay and he comes back... In the time span that they're planning on him coming back, that would be on October 9th against the Tennessee Titans. That would be well shy of a year to come back from a torn ACL and MCL. That would be a pretty impressive recovery time. And so my caution is this. Don't throw him back out there too soon. And I don't think the commanders will, by the way. I think that they would be smart to and that they will be conservative with how. And when they actually do start to implement him back into practice, into games, after October 9th, or not after October 9th, the week of October 9th, because it would be the game against the Titans that he will next be eligible to play in a regular season game. So we're not going to have chase for the first four games of the season. The, The only thing that I would say about that is the commander's first four games are actually quite favorable when you compare to what it was last year you have the jags and the lions to open the season okay now we're all watching hard knocks right now i would hope that we're all watching hard knocks in fact as soon as we get off the air at 9:40 tonight going to pop the Nats on my iPad probably, but I'm going to watch Hard Knocks, which is going to air at 10. I got about 20 minutes once we get off the air to to get my stuff together, get down there to my TV and and make sure that uh, we're locked in for the third episode of of Hard Knocks this year. And the Lions have been really entertaining, and I do think that they're going to improve. But the Commanders, even though they're going on the road to play Detroit in Week 2, I don't think that there's any way that they should be losing that game to the Lions. So you would really do yourself a lot of favors starting out 2-0, and beating Jacksonville, beating Detroit, beating two teams that you are going to be expected to beat on paper, right? And then it gets a little bit harder. A little bit, I say a little bit, but it's really a lot. Back home for the game against Philly, right, September 25th, you get the Eagles as your NFC East opener, and then First weekend of October, you go to Dallas and you play the Cowboys. Both of those teams could be playoff teams this year. The Cowboys are obviously going to be favored to win the division. They were dominant last year. I believe they went 6-0 and against the NFC East last year, as a matter of fact. But I think the Eagles have gotten better this offseason as well. So those aren't going to be easy games to win. But you have two very winnable games in that first four. So you'll be without Chase for all four of them. You need to come out of that at least 2-2 two and two to have any sort of... Hope that you might be in contention for a wild card spot at the end of the season. You got to come out at least two and two. I expect them to come out at least two and two. Although I will say right before we go to a break, I tend to agree with Rick Snyder, who was on grant and Danny earlier today. You can check out a lot of Rick's content on the at the fan Rick basically said, I thought that this was more of a 10 win team, nine to 10 win team before training camp started, before we saw them play any preseason games. Now that we've seen them play two preseason games, I'm starting to back off it a little bit. I'm, I'm thinking this is this is another seven, maybe eight win team, if, if they can get back to that point. And it has less to do with the offense. And, and these are more, I thought, great points that, that Snyder made. It has less to do with the offense because I think with Dotson, with Wentz, and Logan Thomas hasn't even played yet, there's a lot that you could still be hiding offensively. But defensively, there's not really a lot that you could hide. There's not a lot that they aren't showing right now. They're missing Chase Young, but that's it. And guess what? They're still not playing well. The Panthers were able to move the ball pretty easily on them and now the Chiefs were. And yes, the Chiefs got Patrick Mahomes and Mahomes was sick, <laughs> especially a couple of those throws that he made on Saturday. But dang, it does not look good. So, unless something changes, I know it's preseason, but there needs to be uh more growth from the defense as a whole from last year to this year, because right now they're, they're looking like they're going to be another disappointment when they should very much be a top 10 unit, despite the fact that they really do need some help with linebacker, by the way. It hasn't really been the linebackers, though, that are costing them. It's the lack of pass rush and the communication on the back end, the defensive backfield, has not been good. All right, that's enough ranting now. Let's step aside. Let's take a quick break. We got more to get into. You're listening to 1067 The Fan. 1067 The Fan is on your AM, FM dial. We're on the stream at thefandc.com, and we're on the Odyssey app. Download us there. Danny Noakes with you up until 9:40. Denton Day producing back in the studio. We'll hand it off to Charlie and Dave at 9:40 for Nats on deck. Nats are over in Seattle to play the Mariners a couple of games before they come back home, and maybe we get to see Cade Cavalli for the first time after the Nats come back home for this homestand. Who knows? We were talking to Matt Wyrick of NBC Sports Washington's Nats coverage a couple of segments ago, and he definitely agrees it's becoming more and more likely that we are going to see Cade Cavalli come up and be a part of the Nationals before the season ends. We're really just at this point trying to figure out when exactly that will happen. 800-636-1067 is the MGM National Harbor listener line if you want to get in on the conversation. I've given my commanders all time Mount Rushmore that features Joe Gibbs, Sonny Jurgensen, John Riggins, and Daryl Green. If you disagree, if you got a different Mount Rushmore, let us know. You call us there, hit us up on Twitter at Danny Noakes at one zero six seven, the fan. Now, elsewhere in the NFL, Jim Ursay, the owner of the Colts, is actually, if you can believe it, still talking about Carson Wentz, which to me seems a little bit weird. And Irsay's been. Hypercritical of Carson Wentz in the media, both in the immediate aftermath of the Colts losing their final two games to miss out on the playoffs, the 2021-2022 NFL season. But he has also, since Wentz left Indianapolis, still been very critical of him. So quick quote here from Ursay. quote, we went through the season with some inconsistency at quarterback that led to some massive problems blah, 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 inconsistently, massive problems. It's all Carson Wentz's fault, end quote. That's basically <laughs> more or less what he's been saying for the last few months. And when when it comes to Wentz, you know, <laughs> I look at those last two games. Sure, yeah, they should have won. They needed to win one game to get in the playoffs with two games to go. And they lost to Vegas, 23-20. to It's a very close competitive game. The Raiders were actually pretty good after gruden got let go but then they lost to jacksonville 26 to 11 and look i know wentz didn't play particularly well during those two games but did wentz give up 26 points to one of the worst teams in the league Mm, i'm thinking no i'm thinking that the Colts' defense gave up uh, 26 points to the jacksonville jaguars uh in that final game not to mention the nfl's leading rusher got the ball 15 times and only had 77 yards in that game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know that you're playing from behind most of the time, but don't you think you should get your best offensive weapon, the ball, a little bit more in a scenario like that? I would have, but, again, I'm not here to just blame Carson Wentz, even though I know he did not play well in those final games down the stretch. 800 636 1067, that's the MGM National Harbor Listener Line. We're gonna go over there right now. We've got one caller. Let's get Roy in Winchester on the horn. Roy, thanks for calling in. What's going on?
4: Hey Danny, thanks for letting me call in.
2: Yes, sir. What do um, for me?
4: So I just I've been listening to all the media, the local media. Honestly, it's been a little bit of a problem. Um, I can't get my commanders fixed enough, but uh <laughs> I've been listening to everything, and there's this weird this narrative kind of developing about the team that, that doesn't make any sense, like statistically or otherwise. There's this narrative that they're going to be the same team as last year. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't make any sense. The defense didn't get worse. One could argue they're better without Chase Young as a unit. Um, obviously, Chase Young has a higher ceiling than anybody else that would take his place, but one could argue that. The other part of it is Wentz is obviously a better quarterback than Heineke. Um, Numbers aside, he's taller, he's stronger, he seems to be getting along with all of the players well. Um, And then the other narrative is Jamin Davis. Like He was bad last year. Anybody who watched any of his games knew he was bad last year. And this year, so far, I saw a jump to the first preseason game. And the second preseason game, I saw a marked improvement as well. There's really nothing saying. I mean, the schedule they've got one quarterback on their schedule that is Mahomes-esque, who could make what four of those third-down throws that Mahomes made on Saturday, and that's Aaron Rodgers. That's the only quarterback on their on their uh, season this year that can do that. What do you think? Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, and and I, and I think you, you bring up many good points, Roy. Thanks for calling. the 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 thing about their schedule this year is it's a heck of a lot easier than it was last year, isn't it? Because you mentioned Rogers being the only guy on their schedule that can make that type of throw. Last year, they played Rogers, they played Mahomes, they played Allen, they played Herbert, they played Brady, they played Wilson. I mean, they literally played. Seven of the top ten quarterbacks in the National Football League right now. I'm pretty sure the only one that that was missing from there is is probably someone like Lamar Jackson. So the the schedule's very favorable, right? And and by the way, for Roy, I appreciate him calling in. I'm more, I have for the most part been more in my mindset as to how this Commander season will go, more aligned with that. I don't think that there's any way that the defense can be as bad as they were last year. It just doesn't feel like that that's possible. They have enough talent on that side of the ball that a last year shouldn't have happened, but B, there's no way that it can happen again. <laughs> that, I mean, that's seriously, that's it. That's just, that's pretty sound logic there. If you ask me now, the other thing he mentioned was the unit might be better without chase young. Maybe that I think that you could probably make a case for that. They've they've now played I guess probably about half a season and they certainly will have played at least half a season by the time that he comes back four games in to this year if that's even the case. But I he, he that first year man, he was he was such a jolt of energy into that lineup. Now, I said earlier in the show that and and maybe that maybe this is what Roy was picking up on from from me in particular. I believe I said it actually last segment. In the first couple of preseason games, I've seen more of the same mistakes being made, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, as we saw last year. Uh, lack, you know, Not great communication in the defensive backfield. Guys kind of just getting beat. Guys looking gassed on the defensive line. Not getting a whole lot of pressure up front. I think that's where the concern is, is coming from defensively. But I think they're hiding a good bit offensively hiding's probably not even the right word for it they're just they're not opening the playbook entirely because they know Carson Wentz is only going to be out there for two three series in a game Logan Thomas just came back they haven't even really had the chance to get him into the mix since December of last year we don't really know what we're going to get with Dotson they don't even want to reveal what they can do with Dotson because i I think that he's pretty dynamic and they're going to line him up all over the field. But I, I I'm more optimistic about the offense than the defense right now. And I didn't necessarily think that that would be the case. Certainly not when the news came in that they, that they had signed Carson Wentz, but I, I was also on the more optimistic side of the Carson Wentz signing because you look at his numbers and Wentz was significantly better than, than Taylor Heineke was last year. If Wentz has the same season, that he did last year in Indianapolis, you would expect the commanders to make the playoffs <laughs> with, with those numbers. They were, they were that much better. And it's not that he was an elite quarterback last year, but they were that much better than the quarterback play that, that Washington has had, which has been some of the worst over the last couple of years. And and again, Taylor Heineke has had a tough role. It's, it's not easy to do fill the void. Uh, when, when a quarterback goes down and several quarterbacks go down in, in his situation, but, uh, I, I tend to think there there will be improvement there offensively. We haven't seen it yet because we haven't really had the chance, but I need to I need to see more defensively. And because it's the preseason, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I've still got him around eight, nine wins. I was, again, more on the optimistic side, looking more at ten. We'll see. They've got a good open to the year with Jacksonville and Detroit. Two very winnable games. We'll see how that goes. Back over to the MGM National Harbor listener lines. We've got Steve. In brandy wine, Steve has a Commanders Mount Rushmore for us. Steve, what's going on?
4: Hey, how you doing? Uh, Good. You know you, what's ask you Mount Rushmore, about, my friend.
2: You asked ask about the Mount Rushmore.
4: I want to tell you straight up. Okay. It'd be, it'd be Jeff Bostic, Russ Grimm, Mark May, Joe Jacoby, George Stark, and Fred Dean. Joe Gibbs okay. will tell you that, and Joe, and Joe Bugle. Joe Gibbs will tell you that Joe Fazman will tell you that, and John Riggins will tell you that.
2: All right, I like that. I I, hey, you you just need you just need a bigger mountain. (laughs) That's Steve. Great call, man. Steve, thank you. That's that's fantastic. Steve's just given Mount Rushmore to the Hogs. I, I love it. He ran down pretty much everybody that was a part of that group right there uh jeff bostick being one of those guys uh i didn't even mention mark may yeah the you could you could just make it the hogs honestly i would i would be completely fine with that if i said that i had three guys on on my mount rushmore that i wasn't willing to take off of it being gibbs Jurgensen, riggins but i i would i would concede you could put the hogs up there and and someone like Someone like uh, Joe Jacoby, I believe, was there for all three Super Bowls, and and was there with uh, obviously the Hogs. So uh, it's man, it is it, it's dirt. It's definitely a debate that we could have. So I, I love it though, I and I love I love the other submissions because there are other very deserving dudes that would be. Very much welcome on, on a Washington football franchise, Mount Rushmore. So keep them coming, 800-636-1067. All right, let's take another quick break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the 7 o'clock hour and kick it over to the 8 o'clock hour. You're listening to success.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours
2: and we have been doing that today, if you're just joining us. <laughs> it is Sonny Jergensen's 88th birthday today. Happy birthday to Sonny Jergensen, Redskins' great quarterback. Also, Danny Rouye of Grand and Danny. It is his birthday today. No relation to Chase Rouye, offensive lineman for the Commanders. <laughs> it's also his birthday today. And the one that I had not mentioned yet, maybe the most special of all, happy birthday to Kobe Bryant gone far too soon. It's Kobe's birthday as well. So, it's a big day for birthdays around these parts. Something to uh, something to keep an eye on there. 800-636-1067. That's the MGM National Harbor listener lines. We're live tonight on 1067 The Fan up until 940. We're handing it off to Charlie and Dave for a little Nats on Deck. The Nationals getting ready to play the Seattle Mariners. First pitch scheduled for ten We're talking Mount Rushmore's today and Although we are getting ready to start the NFL regular season, felt it was an appropriate conversation to have with Sonny Jergensen and the announcement that his jersey would be retired. Obviously, just the fourth Redskin player to have his jersey retired behind Sammy Ball, Bobby Mitchell, Sean Taylor, and now Sonny. He becomes the fourth. And when it comes to Mount Rushmore, we had... Steve and Brandywine, who gave us a, a good case for the Hogs to just be the Mount Rushmore, and that's fair. I like that one. If I'm breaking it up and giving the Mount Rushmore to different figures throughout franchise history, my four are Gibbs, Jergensen, Riggins, and Daryl Green. That's my four. Let's go back to the phones, 800 636 Kevin is in D.C. He's calling in. Kevin, what's going on?
4: Yeah, give me a, a little Give me a prediction of the of the risk and, uh, the win and loss. That's all yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm out of here. You give might, me a prediction. Okay. I, I, I'm I'm saying nine and eight, but if it's gonna be better, I, I you know I take that.
2: Yeah, I say I say nine and eight as well. I have I've been hoping that it'll be ten and seven, right, Kevin? But I, I'm I think I'm going nine and eight. That's my safe bet, right? That's that's the safe number I'm going with. Nine wins for the Commanders this year. And they need to come out of the gate with a couple of wins right off the bat, if you ask me. Jags, Lions. And again, Lions featured on Hard Knocks. We're going to watch them later on tonight. It's fun. They're Dan Campbell, their head coach, is a uh, he's an animated guy. But at the same time, they 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 still have a, a lot of a lot to be desired. Now they they've added some weapons, specifically offensively. I think DJ Chark is over there now. They've got some younger wide receivers, too, that they've been developing, not to mention they bring in Aiden Hutchison on the defensive side of the ball, who a lot of people consider to be the next can't miss defensive line prospect to come out of college. You may have had a few of those, by the way, in this most recent draft. I want to bring in Denton here, though, for a second, because Denton, I'm curious, man, have you been watching hard knocks at all this year?
5: i have i was uh i was on a trip last week so i just was able to watch the second episode this morning
2: nice me too actually by the way i, I didn't catch up till earlier because i was out there traveling what do you think of it i i've been saying that i actually think this is one of the more intense and entertaining hard knocks that we've gotten over the last 10 years and i had very low expectations considering <laughs> this was the lions coming into it you know
5: yeah i think it's really i think hard knocks is back you know, I think there were a couple of years where there was it was kind of boring. There was it wasn't shot great. You know, you could tell that there were some things the team didn't want to show, and maybe that's still the case. But I think the entertainment value that Dan Campbell himself holds, I think that in itself gets it over the hump. And then there are a lot of other stories, particularly in this past week's episode, that really had me um, I- intrigued to To continue watching, so I think this uh, this year's season has been really solid.
2: I, I do too, and you know, I, Gr- I Grant Paulson I think actually explained this pretty well earlier before we got on the air today. He said that there's a I don't actually remember the exact adjective or noun that he used to describe it, but but there's a certain shine that Hard Knocks gives a team when you're filming it and uh, and ultimately air it on on HBO HBO Max because you could his example was you could take folks that are working in the the radio station at that time put get a couple more put them on a field and and you know throw them out there and it would look like a, a hard knocks episode if you got leave schreiber to to narrate it and you you had the the 4k cameras out there that can capture uh the slightest blade of grass that's bent 4k televisions are awesome by the way we just got one last year it's it's been just a godsend for football it's it's absolutely awesome but so uh, it's it's been it's been interesting to watch Dan Campbell and his his physical mentality kind of uh, take over hard knocks because that dude is the quintessential football guy. I mean, <laughs> you, isn't that the perfect way to describe him, He's he is just a football guy, man. He played for the Lions. He played for a lot of teams in the NFL, but he just loves the game.
5: He really is. And I never doubted that just based on his persona that he, you know, portrays in the media. I never doubted that he was a football guy, but getting to see him being followed around by hard knocks cameras, it does validate that he is very much a football guy through and through.
2: It definitely does. And I. I'm rooting for him. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. I, I I except for in week two when they play the Commanders, right? I, I'm going to be rooting for Dan Campbell. He he comes off as a very likable guy, and he comes off it, very intense, no doubt. But I think his players are are you know very much invested in him. They they seem to be kind of rallying around him. Denton, real quick too before we go to a break, the other thing that I find interesting about watching this Lions team on Hard Knocks is the volume of ex players. That they have on their staff. I mean, you've got Campbell himself, the head coach, but we're seeing Deuce Staley, Antoine Randall, Calvin Shepard, De- and who's who's Deuce Staley been going at it with? The uh, defensive Aaron backs Glenn, go- the defensive Glenn, yeah.
5: defensive coordinator.
2: They are too funny, man. They are at each other's necks just when it's eleven on eleven or or seven on seven when it's the running backs in a drill against the defensive backs. That kind of competitiveness in camp is is just – I think Denton, it's something that you only get
5: from former players. You, I, I think that's why they filled the staff. And, of course, we can't forget Washington legend Mark Burnell yes. also on the staff. But I love I love that mentality of putting a bunch of former players together because they know what it's like they understand the grind of what the players are dealing with and there still is that competitiveness to get after one another but do so in a constructive way rather than you know a bunch of fights throughout the course of training camp I love the way they built it. I still don't think they're going to be very good right but it's entertaining and I love the way their staff is built <laughs>
2: Danny Ruye said that he could see them going from three wins last year to six wins this year. That'd be a pretty significant jump for them. And you got to build incrementally in in the national football league. When you're a franchise like the Detroit lions, you can't expect to just flip it around and expect everything to be good and peachy after several decades of mediocrity. It's 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 been a really fun season. So ten o'clock tonight you can get a new episode. I'm definitely gonna be tuned in for it. And yes, I'm I'm so glad Denton brought up Mark Brunel because I, I thought it was heresy that they that they didn't mention his tenure with the Redskins in introducing him as as a former player and a former quarterback they, they just gave all the film from the Jaguars games I'm surprised that they didn't throw the Monday Night Miracle in there with his two bombs to Santana Moss that, that's what I remember Mark Burnell for uh, I also remember several times in the first couple of years <laughs> when he was playing when he was playing for the Redskins I remember it was Sean Taylor's rookie year Sean Taylor made that incredible interception on the sideline over top of Chad Johnson uh, in, in, against the Cincinnati Bengals. It was amazing. I think also in that game was Brunel starting, and the entire stadium started chanting Ramsey to get Patrick Ramsey to try and come in the game, and he eventually did, and everybody lost it. They thought it was amazing. So, um, yeah, those were it's it's amazing because those were good times, But those were some bad teams that we were watching back then, man. Hopefully things will will change this year, but uh, it's always good. Football is becoming more like baseball in that way in that it it just creates so much nostalgia and all these former players now returning and becoming head coaches and being a part of coaching staffs. It's a lot of fun. Let's get out of here, though. We've got the 8 o'clock hour coming up next. More NFL, not to mention we're going to be joined by – Dwight Vick, a former Virginia Tech offensive lineman, a former All-Big East offensive lineman, to talk a little college football. We're going to do college football preview. Yes, we'll talk about the Hokies, look around the rest of the ACC, but Nick Saban also just got a big, fat contract extension, and that obviously has some repercussions for the rest of college football. So, that's all coming up next at the 8 o'clock hour. Stick around, you're listening to 106.7 The Fan. Okay, picture this.
0: It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.